Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Jesus, help me. John, John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and I'll read one verse of scripture, John chapter 15, and um, in a moment, I'll give you just kind of a subject. I always like a title. I'm a title person. I like titles. And I um, wanted to give you this in just a moment and share with you what I believe is, is a now word. John chapter 16 and verse 15. I'm always fearful when I give you a text because I am dyslexic with numbers and I switch numbers all the time. Three times on an average manifest telecast, I've given you the scripture backwards. And so if I have the wrong reference, it is in the Bible anyway. John chapter 16, verse 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Am I on it? Is that it? Is it? You looking? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient or better for you that I go away. Jesus is speaking. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, I want to give you the context of what's happening here. John is one of those gospel writers that gets into the biggest, largest discourse of Jesus in what we call the red letter edition of any other gospel writer. It starts in John chapter 14. It continues right into John chapter 15. It continues right into John chapter 16. Everything just about there, almost everything there is in red. It's almost one entire discourse that was recorded. He starts out in John 14. He says, now, don't let your heart be troubled if you believe in God believe in me in my father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. So he introduces it by telling them, I will not be here forever. I'm not going to live eternally on this planet. I have another assignment in heaven of preparation for great things for you. As he gets into this, he then introduces the Holy Spirit. And he introduces the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And uh, they get a little bit confused here because uh, they're wanting to know, no, wait a minute, you're talking about going to heaven. Show us the Father. What is God the Father like? And Jesus just said, look, when you see me, you've seen the Father. If the Father were here, he'd be healing the sick. He would be raising the dead. He would be casting out devils. He would be talking about the kingdom. So everything I'm doing, I'm doing it because of the Father. Then they get caught up a little bit on this idea of him going away. So imagine this now. They've been with him probably at this time close to three, a little over three years, really close to three and a half. And they've been with him nonstop. They've left their fishing businesses. They've left their families, their wives and children to go full-time in ministry. They lived out in the woods before. They've been up in high mountains and slept on rocks. They've gone to cities where they had ministry partners that allowed them to stay in their house. They've eaten from other people's table. And they've, it's, they have done everything they can to give up all they've got to follow this man. And now he's saying, I'm about to go away. Now they're all upset. You would be upset as well. What do we do now? Now, the part that puzzled me as a teenage preacher, I never will forget this, was the idea of Jesus telling these people, it is expedient or better for you if I go away. Now, can I tell you that in the logical sense of the natural, that did not make sense to me? Let me explain why. Do you know that if Jesus Christ were still here in a physical body, there would be nobody in your family that would have to be sick? He healed all that were oppressed of the devil. The only place he didn't heal everybody was Nazareth because of their unbelief. But if you'll go in the ministry of Jesus, would it not be, would it not just be off the chain for Jesus to still be over there in Jerusalem? And we could take a whole land trip and load it up with sick folks and say, Jesus, we're coming over in three weeks. Give us an hour and pray for everybody. Would that not be neat? And people start getting healed and you get to see the miracles. That's neat. But he has to be here in his body for him to do that. Wouldn't it be neat to hear him teach? I wish they had tape recorded. 
recorders back then or some kind of taping device where I could hear him talk about the Beatitudes or watch him cast out a devil. Would it not be neat to just watch Jesus cast a devil and devil screaming out of people, bam, and they're delivered? Wouldn't it be neat to listen to this greatest teacher that ever lived? The authority that he spoke with, that when he spoke, you could feel the words coming into your body. You could feel the fire and the power of God. So this puzzled me. You're telling me that it's better for me that you're not here in a physical body? Come on, explain this to me a little bit deeper. And here's the con concept the Lord gave me. If Jesus were here in a physical body, he would still get tired because so many times the Bible said that he went away from the crowd and had to go into a mountain by himself and pray. So number one, Jesus would not be able to pray for all the multitudes who, who wanted it, the tens of thousands, because he was in a physical body. Number two, he could only be at one place at one time. Now, of course, we could, we could put him on satellite and have people watching the ministry that way. But as far as personally hearing him minister, he could only be in one place at one time. So here's my point. In a physical body, although Jesus Christ was God and man, he had limitations placed on him because he was a physical man in a physical body. So he then says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Now, here's the verse I want to give you because they're all troubled about him going away. John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless, but I'm going to send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I love this word here, comfortless in Greek. It's the word orphanos, orphanos. And we get the word orphan from there. And here is what Jesus is saying. I am not going to leave you orphanless. I'm not going to leave you like a parent or a dad that departs or dies and there's no dad or see Christ knew he was going to die, but he knew he was going to raise. So he says, I'm not going to leave you like a bunch of orphans, but I'm going to send you another comforter and this comforter will abide with you forever. Now, here's the interesting thing about this word orphanos and what Jesus is saying. I can understand that from a theological perspective of him saying, I will go away. I have been your comforter, but I'm going to send you another comforter who will be with you. That's very simple. We all understand what that means. In rabbinical thought, though, for the teacher, here's what, here's what orphans or orphanos in Greek meant in classical Greek. Ready? It had a much broader sense. Check this out. It meant students who were abandoned by their teacher. The teacher did all the work for them and suddenly the teacher walks out and they're abandoned and left all by themselves without a teacher or without a leader. So the idea here is that they are concerned that their teacher who has taught them all truth is about to abandon them. So Jesus says, you are not to, going to be abandoned just because I'm not physically here. I'm going to send you another comforter that he will abide with you forever. Now, the other comforter is, according to your Bible and my Bible, it is the Holy Spirit. But let me talk to you about the word comforter. It is a Greek word, parakletos. Parakletos is an extreme interesting word because we can take that word and translate it back to English several different ways. For example, Jesus in heaven, I'm going to go somewhere in a minute. Jesus in heaven is called the advocate. Now, advocate, if you know anything about law terms, is someone representing another person in a court case. Heaven is set up like a court. 
God is the judge. Jesus is the advocate, meaning he's defending you. He's standing in your place to defend you. Satan is the prosecuting attorney, Revelation 12, trying to accuse you in the heavenly court. Believe this or not, you got 12 thrones on one side and 12 on the other. Hello, somebody, that's a jury. So everything in heaven, my, 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 the throne room of God is set up just like a courtroom. Now, why must the throne of God be set up like a courtroom? Because there's two things going on at one time. Satan is day and night going before God to accuse you of sin. So he's bringing evidence just like in a court case to present to God, to condemn you, to say, take their name out of the book, take their name out of the citizenship. They need to be punished and not rewarded. So he's trying to do that continually. Now, Jesus is ever living well in the book of Hebrews to make intercession for you and I. So he is the heavenly attorney. He's defending me. He's defending you. But wait a minute. Watch out now, because the Bible said we have a paracletos on earth, which is the Holy Spirit. Think about what I'm about to tell you, because I'm preaching on the paracletos advantage. Think about what I'm saying when I tell you this. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at one time. The Holy Spirit is invisible and is not seen, meaning that he can show up and communist border guards don't know he's there. Meaning that he can show up and Islamic border guards in radical countries don't know he's there. Meaning that he can show up, hey, hey, and you show up and they look at you and they scan your body from head to toe, but that little scanner that TSA uses can't see that ghost jumping up on the inside of your belly on the inside because out of your belly is flowing rivers of living water. So in other words, the spirit of God's advantage is that number one, he cannot be seen. He is invisible meaning that you take him into any foreign country you want to go in and no one knows that he got in except you and him. Number two, he's not like Christ. Christ could only in a body be one place at one time. But the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, has the ability of being ready every place at one time. And so you have on earth right now an advocate who stands with you to defend you. Why? Why do you have to have one on earth? Because you do deal with shame and you deal with guilt and you deal with condemnation, not when you die and go to heaven, you deal with that right now. And it's the Holy Spirit that fights that battle with you. Come on, somebody. The Bible said the spirit helpeth our infirmity. The Greek word infirmity, asthenia, means a weakness of the mind or the body or the spirit. And the word helpeth in Greek means to take hold of together with somebody and to pull together to get that particular thing accomplished. So the spirit of God is a sign to take the thing that is weak in your life and give you strength to overcome that thing which is weak in your life. So in other words, when the enemy's trying to hit you on earth, you've got an advocate fighting for you and the devil says, you better not speak in tongues. You know how you've been living. You better not speak in tongues. You're just making that up. But the paracletos, the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside says, watch this devil. He caught a la 
Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God starts kicking in, and the prayer language of the Holy Ghost starts kicking in. And about 10 minutes later, you can say, where is that devil? Like R.W. Shambach, where is that devil? Let me have that devil. And all of a sudden, you can't find the adversary because there's something about the presence of God and the glory of God and the anointing of God. Mark chapter 5, Jesus shows up. A man is full of demons. And Jesus shows up, and the presence of Jesus tormented the devils that was in the man. And the devils cried out through the man, are you come to torment us before the time? The presence of God will always torment evil spirits. The presence of God will torment devils. Therefore, when the enemy is harassing you, all you need is a dose of the Spirit of God and for the advocate on earth to show up and begin to manifest. And all of a sudden, those things that are there are going to depart and flee like demons did in a bunch of pigs. Somebody better help me clap, praise, shout, do something in this house. Now that's on earth. But why is it important that Jesus is interceding in heaven? Now I'm going to show you something real interesting about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is backwards. I'm going to show you the kingdom of God is backwards. Ready? In the natural, you don't give away money to get money. You invest money to get money. But God says, give it, a, give it away, I'll give it back to you. In the natural, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, you fight them back and bust their teeth. But Jesus said, turn the other cheek and let me retaliate against them and you won't have to. When you are persecuted, you have a tendency of the old man rising up and you say something to that person you shouldn't say and tell them off. But Jesus in the kingdom says, go ahead and let them say what they want to say because when you're persecuted, great will be your reward in heaven. The whole kingdom is completely opposite. If they ask for your coat, give them your cloak. If they say go a mile, go two. It makes no sense. The kingdom makes no sense. Now, here's the part that's important of you understanding about how this kingdom operates. And it starts with salvation. And this is where you understand this kingdom is backwards. Look at somebody say the backward kingdom. If I've done something wrong and I get a lawyer and I go to court, even if I've done wrong, it is the job of my attorney to try to get me off somehow. He's crazy. He's mental. He was on drugs. He lost his mind. He was sleepwalking at night when he shot the person. <laughs> Come up with something to get me off. So what happens is, stay with me, you have guilty people who are really guilty who will go to court and say, not guilty hoping that by saying not guilty, they will be found not guilty. Heaven is the only place that to get in, you got to be guilty. Now, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Here's the way it works. You are a sinner, but you don't go to God and say, I didn't do it. I ain't a sinner. Who you call a sinner? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that, that, and that. Yeah, your word. I did a lot of your word didn't say, but I ain't a sinner. You understand? I'm not guilty. That kingdom don't work that way. Here's how this kingdom works. You want to get in the door? You want to live in that big city? Then when God looks at you and say, did you do it? How do you plead? You say, guilty. What? Yeah, I'm a sinner. Guilty. I did wrong. Guilty. I'm not living right. Guilty. Now, why is, that, why is that important? Because when you plead guilty, 
You have a lawyer in heaven that says to the judge. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. How did they plead? They are guilty, but they've asked me to cleanse them by my blood. So what do you choose to do, son? I choose to cover their sin by my blood. And so all of a sudden, because you have said, I am a sinner, I do need a savior. I'm lost as a goose in a hailstorm. That's a Tennessee expression. Because you're willing to say that, Jesus is willing to take his blood and cover you up. Now, here comes that old split foot, red face. I don't know what he looks like. Well, I do know what he looks like. I saw him one time in a, in a vision. But anyway, here comes the devil. And the devil says, I want to say something about such and such. I was on earth and got a report from my kingdom that they just did this, this, and this. Now, they have no right to approach you. They have no right for this kingdom. So I ask you and demand that you strip their name from the citizenship of this city. We have the evidence against them. But all of a sudden, your lawyer walks over to the books and said, huh, that's really interesting. So when did this happen? Well, it happened three days ago. Well, that's interesting. I'm looking at a sheet three days ago and it says washed in the blood. Oh, oh. And imagine, imagine the enemy, how the enemy feels when he got there too late. You, hey, Lord Jesus. Somebody said, boy, I tell you what, the devil really hates us, don't he? Yeah, he does. But the Lord told me one day, the devil cannot hate you more than I am able to love you. Somebody ought to give God a praise for that right now. Think about that for just a minute. woo So you have an advantage. Touch somebody and say, you've got an advantage. You have got an advantage. And that advantage is the paracletos advantage or the advantage of having the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to touch on something here that I feel led of the Lord to go into. We're going to do a shifting in the message, and then we're going to pull it back together in again in just, in just a few moments. And that is this. One of the greatest blessings of having the Spirit of God to dwell in you and live in you is to have something which we all Pentecostals and Charismatics have heard this phrase called the anointing. 1 John 2.20, 1 John 2.27 says this, that we have an unction from the Holy One. And it says that we have, and uh, the, the other verse says, but we have an anointing that abides in us, and we don't need that a man teaches because the anointing that is in us teaches us. Now, that doesn't mean that you go do your own thing, interpret the Bible your own way. That's not what he's saying there. But he's saying that the anointing becomes your teacher. Now, let me give you an example of how the anointing becomes your teacher. My family on my mother's side came from Italy, and they were all Roman Catholic. One of my cousins, I hadn't seen her in years, uh, was living in Rhode Island, and she was a very loyal Roman Catholic. She got pregnant. And when she got pregnant, she decided to go buy a Bible and just read a Bible for herself. Now, she didn't contact me as her cousin who's on TV. I just saw her by accident. It wasn't an accident. It was the Lord uh, about two years after this happened. As she's reading her Bible on her own, she starts noticing that Jesus said, call no man father, but your heavenly father. She said, oh my goodness, what is this? Then she started reading where 
a woman blessed Mary but Jesus, and said to Jesus, blessed is this woman that gave you her breast to feed on. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't bless her. Bless those who do the will of the heavenly father. Now she goes to the priest. Eh, trust me, mistake. She goes and she says, now look, I've read this and I want an explanation. And he said to her, that's why we don't let you read the Bible. Because you don't know how to interpret the Bible. And, he, and then she said to him, and, I, and this is all respect to the priest. You understand, this is not a blasting message. Don't take this wrong. I'm just giving you an illustration. She said, but wait a minute. It doesn't take a genius to read what Jesus said. A common person can understand what Jesus said. Now, here's the strangest part. All she did was pick up a Bible. All she did was read it by herself. And the child ends up getting saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, set free and everything else just by reading the Bible. You with me? Are you with me? Say, I'm still tracking with you, preacher. I'm still tracking with you. Now, that's what the Bible means when it says that there is an anointing that can come in you that can teach you all things. Because every church has its own traditions. Every church and denomination has its own rituals. Some are man-made, some are biblical. But the Spirit of God comes on you and gives you an unction. Now, the word unction, charisma, Charisma. We get the word charismatic from that. And it means something that is smeared on like an ointment. Something that is smeared on like an oil being poured over you. That's why oil in the Bible represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because the word anointing and unction in Greek is something that is covering you and something that is smeared on. Is everybody still here? Say, I'm still here. All right. Now. I want you to pay very careful attention because I'm going to slow this down and somebody say, thank God <laughs> for you to get this because this is a very important teaching that I want to share with you. And I'm going to really, it's going to sound like I'm going way off into another message, but we need to answer this. There is a movement today that some have turned hyper grace. Now, I'm going to give you just three basic things to help you understand a little bit of what some, I'm not saying they all teach this, but some are teaching. One is they're teaching that the grace of God is so great that once you repent, you never have to repent again of anything you do wrong. Now, the Bible says, beloved, write to you that you sin not. And in Greek, it means do not practice sinning. Then it says, but if we sin, conjunction, that means if you should sin or fall into it, you have an advocate with the Father. Now, why would it say that if I can repent once, next 30 years, never say to God, I'm sorry again for anything I do wrong? Number two, the book of Revelation, last book of your Bible, written in 95 AD, there are seven churches. Five of those churches were messed up. Two of them were doing really good. And in every one of them that were messed up, Jesus said this, repent of where you were fallen. Repent of this Jezebel you're letting teach. Repent of this false doctrine that you're teaching. And then he goes and warns them and says, but if you don't repent, I'll take your candlestick away. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, that's pretty strong language. All right. Now, what happens with this is this. People that begin to not understand what grace really is, the unmerited favor of God that comes through repentance when they don't understand that, then what happens is they overread this teaching. And I had a lady say, look, I had a friend that was a businessman, a godly businessman.
He was honest with everybody. He wouldn't cheat a person if his life depended on it because he feared the Lord too much. He got into this message and started cheating people, stealing from people, ripping people off. And I knew about it. And I said, what do you think you're doing? And he said, it doesn't matter. God has me covered. Another pastor said to me, you're not going to believe this. Is, this, this sounds too far-fetched like it's a made-up story, and it is not. He's a preacher. He goes to a church. They go to the pastor's house after service. These are extreme grace people now. And this, past, this evangelist wasn't really that way, but he didn't know what this church really believed when he was invited to preach there. They have a meal. There's all kinds of couples. And then the pastor says, now, brother, you may not want to join us downstairs because after every Sunday night service, we have a swinging time. And the guy says, swinging time, what do you mean? Now, here's what the pastor and about eight staff member couples did. They go downstairs, watch X-rated movies, strip their clothes off, and have sex with each other's wives in the rooms. This is a, I, I can't make this stuff up. And this guy said, then I go to the next church and find out he's an extreme grace teacher. And he says to me, you see any girl on the front row there? Tell me which one you want, and she'll come to your hotel tonight, sleep with you, do whatever you want. This is the pastor talking to the guy on the platform. He goes to a third church, finds out they're an extreme grace church, and the pastor says to him, now I'm divorcing my wife in a week. If you hear about it, it's true. You see the chick on the second row? I'm marrying her because she's more profitable for ministry. Now, what happens is this. This is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. If you will read the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses a church and said, I hate this bunch. This man, Nicholas, who was the head of this group, was believed to be a man that believed in grace so heavy that he wanted to prove to his men at his church that he was not even jealous. Jealousy couldn't touch him. So he gave his wife over to the deacons of the church to fornicate with so that he could prove to them that he was not a jealous man. And the Lord says, this bunch I hate. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is I'm about to go somewhere and I want you to listen because I believe this is going to help you to understand. One of the biggest things that you have when you see people who believe this is this, because I've had kids come and say, now, wait a minute, man, dad, when you listen to their music, I know they're a little weird in doctrine, but they're really anointed when you listen to their music. So, I mean, they're up singing and people are jumping around, so they have to be okay. God has to be favoring them because their music is great. And I've heard this 10 times from my own young people who talk about groups that really they're not living right at all. If you look at their private and public life, they'll do stuff publicly that's crazy. But yet they're up there getting it going. Now, I'm going to make some statements and I want to be careful, but I feel this from the Lord. There's two ministers right here. There's others here, but here's two. Well, there's three, Robbie James. Now, Robbie, you know this. When we go to preach, if you and I and you and I and you and I do not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we can't properly function behind this pulpit according to God's purpose for our calling. Jensen Franklin prays and fasts before he preaches. I do the same. Robbie does the same. When I know I'm going to minister, I feel the weight and the burden of that ministry on me. So therefore, I intend to spend time with God. Why? Watch carefully. Because there is a difference between anointings and giftings. You ready? Anointings are given to us freely by God. But to maintain an anointing, there is a price to pay. Because if you as a minister quit fasting and you quit praying and you start totally living for your own self, trust me, 
You'll go behind that pulpit one day like Samson and the spirit of God would have departed from you and you won't even know it because the anointing can lift or be there. Are you with me? Stay. Now we're going to show you something here. So in other words, to have an anointing, it takes consistent prayer and fasting. Now, uh, th this is not an attack on musicians, but I think you guys who love God will understand where I'm coming from because you run circles with all kinds of people. A lot of musicians and even singers have giftings. They have a gift that if they were singing for God, it'll, wow, mesmerize people. But if they don't know God at all, they can sing and have kids going crazy. And you watch them, just watch Cut the sound down and look at Warrior Fest with Perry Stone. Look at Ford with Jensen Franklin. And the kids are on their feet going crazy. And we're singing gospel. But shut the sound off. You're not listening to the words. But then go over here to a secular singer who knows nothing about God. Singing about their boyfriend they're sleeping with. And the kids are going crazy. Now, if you put the two screens together without the music, they look exactly alike. The difference between one and the other is... If the person singing is anointed and gifted, there will be a manifestation of God on those kids that will deliver them. If, on the other hand, the person singing here is gifted in the secular world, then there is no anointing in what they're doing. But they're shaking, jumping, and hollering. One is worship. One is just jumping and hollering. Now, what's the difference? You better stay. Is anybody tracking with me on this tonight? What's the difference? The difference is the gift. Now watch what I'm going to say, please, because this is important. And I really felt the Holy Spirit birth this in me earlier that I need to share this. Okay. If I come up to preach, and I've done it before, trust me, and I don't have an anointing. I've been working 12 hours a day. My mind is distraction. And I don't even know if that's the word God wants. Trust me, my people sitting out there know when I'm not anointed. My crowd knows. They, I got partners for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, 15 years, and they'll say, well, Stone didn't have it tonight. I don't know what happened, but he didn't have it tonight. See, watch. You can fake with a gift, but you can't fake with the anointing. Because either you have the anointing and I'll give you the difference in a moment. This is going to go deeper. But I'll give you the difference. But you can't fake that you got an anointing or you don't. Because you get people up there acting like they got it. It's, it's just dead. They're going crazy with everybody just looking at them. Now, the difference between a gift is this. You ready? This is going to get deep. A gift will operate with or without an anointing. And what happens is first-generation Christians, and this is not an attack on first-generation Christians, but it's a fact. See, I grew up, let me tell you, let me go back and say it this way. Jensen Franklin grew up with how many, let me, how many Christians are in your, you got Dad Franklin, it's five generations maybe, because they already know this probably. They got five generations of Christians. Now, here's what this means. That every generation had spiritual fathers. And they watched those spiritual fathers and they learned from those spiritual fathers. So see, that's why Jensen, some people call me and Jensen old school. Well, you know, they're not really with it now because they don't believe you should do this or they don't believe you should do that. Yeah, but we're still in the race, ain't we? We're still running, aren't we? 
Been 40 years doing this thing. Oh, I felt something. I'm going to run around this building in a minute. If you give me the liberty, I'm going to run. Okay. All right. Now, this is important. A lot of the grace preachers who are hyper grace, and we talked about this today, Pastor, and you said this is true, are first generation preachers. They don't have any dads. You know what Paul said about the issue? You've got 10,000 instructors, but no fathers. See, my dad would sit me down and say, that's wrong. My dad would sit me down and say, that you shouldn't be doing that. That's what a dad does. A dad just don't shell out money and let you have what you want to have. When he knows he's spoiling you, he'll tell you, get up off your butt, excuse me, and get a job. Yeah, I said butt from the pulpit, okay? No, but a dad will bring correction and love at the same time. Now, what happens is, don't miss this. The first generation preachers of whom there are many with great churches only hang around first generation preachers. So that group is predominantly much more liberal than Jensen or I would be as old school. So then they just hang out. Now, here's what happens. Because they have instructors who tell them in conferences, here's how you build a building. I've done this. Here's how you decorate a building. Here's how you buy a building. They got great instructors telling them how to do things. But they don't have fathers who can look at them and said, what you're teaching is wrong. And when a spiritual father who is mature in their 50s or 60s comes into the first generation, guys, I've done this. And say to them, guys, wait a minute. Your doctrine is getting crazy. You better pull it back in. I get called a Pharisee. Oh, that's just legalism. That's just Phariseeism. That's just religiosity. We are free and liberated in Christ. Yes, so did Nicholas. That's what he said. I'm so free. Food is for the belly. You got parts of your body for fornication, so let's just all go do it. That's what he was saying in the early church in the book of Revelation. And God said, tell him I hate him. All right, here we go. Here we go. A minister who steadfastly ministers has to stay in prayer to continue ministering and seeing people touched. Here we go. But gifted people can go to a pulpit and not pray all week. And got on a drunk on the weekend doing all kinds of crazy stuff and get up in a gift and sing and everybody's happy. And mesmerized. So let us talk about the difference between a gift and an anointing. A gift points you to the person. An anointing points you to God. A gift, a gift blesses you, but an anointing breaks a yoke. Oh God, don't patty cake. If you're going to clap, somebody ought to clap. A gift can operate when a person is absolutely living a horrible lifestyle in unrepentant sin. But I'm going to tell you something. 
if you sin as a preacher and you don't get on your face before God and ask him to help you, you're going to get up and fall flat on your face because, oh Lord, I felt this, because God quits anointing the unsanctified. God, I feel your presence. Help me to get through this, Lord, the way you've given it to me in the name of Jesus. So here's what I'm trying to say to you. In our culture today, I'm going to be honest. It is possible to have a beautiful building. And I, by the way, I, love, I, I like this building. I love these lights. I'm going to go buy me some of these when I get home, by the way. Domino lights. Never saw them before. Got to come to California to find stuff. Haven't made it to the East Coast yet. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> but I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Here, here's what you got to look out for. Here's what you got to look out for. In this culture of American Christianity, or what I call Western Christianity, if we can get a building, do a stage right, get talented, gifted people on the platform, guess what happens? We can build a congregation. Because everybody likes good music. I like good music. I ain't going to go to church where they're doing an Andy Griffin. Some woman about half dead on an organ bring, singing, bringing in the sheaves. Are you kidding me? You ever noticed Andy Griffin's got one song? Bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. No. So, so I want to go to the church where I can enjoy the experience and I can feel something. Now, here's the sad part. There are churches in America that if the Holy Spirit never showed up, they wouldn't know it. And do you know why? God, I feel your presence. Here's why. They've never had anything to compare their experience with. So to them, everything's great. Now, let's go back to me and Jensen. Uh, and I, I'm using him because you know him. I could use other ministers that are known, but you know him as, pa as a pastor. So that's why I'm using that, okay? Our mentor, and I... I want to talk to you about T.L. Lowry, and this will explain where I'm going. The first miracle I saw as an 11-year-old at a camp meeting, and Jensen will tell you the same thing, was T.L. Lowry, I was 11, so add, minus, minus age 56 from 11, that takes us to 45. That's 45 years ago. T.L. Lowry, 45 years ago, would have been 41 years of age, okay? He has solid dark hair, dark suit, and he always wore a red tie and cufflinks shirts. He was the king of cuffs when the church of God didn't believe in jewelry. He was wearing cufflinks. Look out. <laughs> I had to say that. That's tradition there. And so, so T.L. TL was preaching, and he went to, he, they had prayer lines then. Now, I saw this, and he went to pray for a man with a leg walking with the cane like this. And I'm up here on the platform as an 11-year-old. I'm watching that man. I'm going to see what happens when he prays for that man. And T.L. grabbed his cane. T.L. was known for grabbing canes and breaking them on his leg <laughs> till he got a hold of some oak canes. <laughs> I got some stories to tell. If they let me preach at his funeral, I got some stories. And he'd, <laughs> he'd sling those. So you got healed or you're going to have to find your cane. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
because he ain't no telling where he flung it. When he prayed for that man, that man, the power of God came. Now, this is 11 years old. Imagine the impression this makes. Falls under the power like a rubber ball and bounces back up and starts shaking that leg that's numb and dead and just paralyzed. And he goes crazy and the guy screams and takes off running at full speed around that tabernacle. The first time, the first time I ever felt the power of God was that moment. I'd heard people talk about... Man, God is in this house. Can you feel God? I'm a kid. No, I can't feel nothing. You know, I'd hear people say this, but it didn't relate to me. And I felt my hair stand up and this really warm feeling like oil come over me. And man, I just like a kid start crying, man. And I said, man, man, God's really real. I mean, this thing is real, man. This, this, look at this guy just gets healed in front of me right there. And he's out running. Wow. 18 years of age. I'm telling my TL stories. I just feel led to say this. At 18 years of age, he's going to come at a camp meeting and speak in an afternoon service. We are sitting as evangelists on a platform facing the pulpit like I'm looking. You're sitting out there, open air tabernacle, month of June, July. It was very hot. Had my black suit on, sitting there waiting. All of a sudden, the back of my neck my shoulders all the way down here. My hair stood straight up like I had hit electricity. And the guy's making announcements. Nobody's preaching. And the guy beside me looked at me and went, whoa, did you feel that? I said, you felt that too? He said, what in the world is that? And it was behind. And we turned. And here come T.L. Lowry walking in. And he'd been on a fast. And you could feel the God. Afabohote you could feel the God, God on him before he ever got to the pulpit. Now, Robert, you were at the Alabama camp meeting when this happened. Rob and Tammy both. As I said, these are some of the 32 years we've been together. And Robbie will remember this. Brother Lowry <laughs> had been on a 40-day fast. Now, back in that day, when you fasted, he chewed on ice. He didn't eat nothing. And he had lost like 40 pounds. And the overseer for the church of God in Alabama, I'm, and I'm getting to something through all of this, and this is what I'm getting to that I want, you, I, want to, I want to impress you with this in the next few moments before we pray. The overseer of Alabama said, Dr. Lowry, God has spoke to me for you to come and preach at the Alabama camp meeting on a certain night. And T.O. was so weak, he's told me this story himself. He said, I told him, Brother White, I can't even stand up. He said, that will be my 40th day on that day. He said, that's why I want you to come. He said, but, but Brother White, you don't understand. I don't even know that I'll even be able to sit in a chair and preach. He said, I want you to come. Just come. They drove him down in a car. When he had, he had a black jack, a suit on with a little red thin stripe. There's a story behind this. And I had a black suit on. I'm like a spiritual son to him. And here come Brother Lowry. And I mean, he was skin and bones. And you could just tell people were like, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. He looks like he's going to die. He literally did. He looked like he was a man that was about to die. But let me tell you something. 4,000 people were in that tabernacle standing around because they heard he was coming. Because they knew God was about to show up. 
And everybody was so excited. It's like, sit down, just get the music out of the way. Put the man of God up. I will never forget, he came to the pulpit just very slow, and they put a microphone stand in front of him, and he took both hands and held on. And he could barely talk. And I thought, oh, God, I knew this was the last day of his fast. I said, oh, God, how will this man get through this? You hear what I'm about to say. He was five minutes into talking, and he was talking like this. Then all of a sudden, the power of God came on him, and he lifted his voice just like I did. And when it hit him, he come away from that pulpit and start swinging his arms, preaching like a wild man. And he got 10 minutes into it, and the power of God hit people till everybody is on their feet, and they started running to him for prayer. He slung the coat off, threw it underneath the piano. Well, you know what I did? I slung mine off and threw it under the piano. He was my mentor. If he throws his coat off, mine's coming off. And they held him up, and he laid hands. This is the truth. They were stacked up in piles of three and four. Am I right, Robbie? And then here come a demon-possessed girl. I'm talking cussing him out. Blank you. Blank you. Blank all of you. Larry said, bring her to me. The devil picked the wrong night to go to church. <laughs> oh! <laughs> She's looking, I'm, I'm right there watching this. She's looking at him and she's cussing him and she's, and you know, you have to, you would have have to known TL to appreciate this because he did it to everybody demon possessed. He'd grab a mic. He'd say, now folks, this person has a demon. And if you're not living right, it's going to look for somebody to go into. So if I were you, I'm doing it like he was. So if I were you, I'd get to this altar. Now, preachers were running to the altar. I've never forgot this. He asked me, he asked me if they let you, this is years, about a year ago. He said, if I die at my funeral, you tell this story. And he looked at the girl, and he did it every time he prayed. He'd say, devil, you know who I am. But in case you don't, I'm T.L. Lowry, servant of the Most High God. And then he'd say this, I ain't got time to play with you. And I've not got time to mess with you. And when I lay hands on this girl, you're coming out immediately. And I'm telling you, she's ranting and raving and foaming. And he touched her rather liberally on the head. Bam. And she fell out shaking on the floor crying. 
This is God bear me record in heaven. When that demon came out of that girl, there were some old people that saw it. I didn't see it. And I don't know how this happened. It flew over the heads of the people. It hit the back of that metal tabernacle like a bomb going off. I turned my head to see if the building blew up. But it was the spirit that came out of her that was so powerful that all it took was the touch. Now, let me tell you something. When that girl got up and he then laid hands on her and she began to start speaking in tongues and glorifying God. You want me to tell you about the power of God? You want me to tell you how real this thing is? I'm telling you something. I believe there's a bunch of people in Southern California. You're tired of church as normal. You're saying, God, do it one more time. God, one more time. Let the power of God, let the anointing of God, let the Holy Spirit be manifested. We don't want gifts. We want anointings. Everybody raise your hands and start praying as loud as you can. Come on. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 